Welcome to the Veloce Podcast, fast and fluid conversation with Kat Empey and Richard Bott. Okay, welcome everybody. Hello. <laughs> so we're on episode, <laughs> episode eight. eight. So um, yeah, another, I mean, I can't believe it's eight now no, already. So no. people still seem to be listening. So we've got a, a guest with us this week, uh, Peter McKay. The, the legend that is Peter um, McKay. Yeah, that. yeah. So I'm sure plenty of people have already heard of Peter, but is a, a commentator, um, professional commentator. Uh, I work with him on another podcast as well, so Porsche Sport as well. Um, how are you doing, Peter? I'm doing very well. This is an absolute pleasure to uh, to be on the uh, Veloce podcast. I'm feeling very fast and fluid today. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you might notice he sounds quite familiar. Yeah. <laughs> from the start. Um, yeah, so just to give people like, a bit of a, a background of you, so kind of what got you into motorsport initially? Uh, well, the short answer would be my mum. Um, a lot of the kind of the, the, I suppose, the stereotypical way of getting into fast cars or racing is usually a dad and lad isn't it but actually it was a little bit different uh for, for me my my mum uh has a very similar driving style to michelle mouton um <laughs> and uh, i used to and that was kind of where i got that first feeling of speed was sitting in the passenger seat with with her she had a she had a subaru legacy estate which wasn't actually the most sporty thing in the world but it, 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 it she knew how to pedal it and uh, she also then after that she had a she had a Skoda Fabia VRS which I then I bought years later uh off her and then put it in a field um uh <laughs> oops um but yeah that, that was definitely mum was was she was a huge rally fan and my my um my earliest memory probably earliest childhood memory full stop was 1995 British RAC rally Colin McRae goes on to to win the world championship and for me this was like to see this this Scottish guy in this in this car that made this most amazing noise the sound of that um pro drive Subaru at that time it just grabbed grabbed my imagination and only a way that people have had their imagination grabbed in the same way could kind of understand if you like and it was and I remember both I remember my I can still picture my mum's sheer excitement over this uh over that big win big championship of course youngest ever rally world rally champion still is to this day yeah. uh, i'm sure young mr solberg and young mr robin Perry might have something to say about that in the next five <laughs> years but clock's ticking um and yeah i mean colin colin was my hero when i was a kid and that was very much my mum that installed that in uh in me for for sure the other one was was when we lived um just outside perth uh the there was the perth scottish rally and malcolm wilson was driving uh, Michelin pilot liveried uh, Escort RS Cosworth rally car. And I remember this going flying past it a million miles an hour, it seemed. And then that Christmas, I had I got this my first Skeletric set and it had that very car in the set. So it was just things like that. And uh, that, that just and it was just like a snowball. And it's that snowball is still going. You know, that was five years old and now 31. And it, 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 I feel like the passion grows and there's more and more things that, yeah. that latch onto it. And uh, so, yeah, but to, to answer your question, definitely mum uh, is, is the one who's responsible for, for it all. What does she think to you going into the commentating world then? Oh, she was she was very pleased. She was very delighted. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I had a great time working with my father in the Scotch whiskey industry for 
pretty much since I left school um, I'm, as a salesperson and I got climbed all the way up to a uh, sales director in the company and I got to travel to Japan and Canada and Holland and all these amazing places. And where the commentary part came in was people used to ask me all the time, they used to say, what would you do if you didn't work in whiskey? Because when you were working for a family business, when your name's on the bottle, <laughs> the people are like, you, you know, they're like, what would you do if you didn't have that? And I would say, well, that's easy. I'd be a motor racing commentator. Uh-huh. Easy peasy. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I, the best part about working uh, in the business was was uh, was doing the public speaking. I used to do whiskey tastings all the time, all over the world. Um, and you had to be informative. You had to be engaging. You had to be entertaining. And you had to be able to relate to people and, and explain things. And it's exactly the same as commentary. It's just a different subject. Yeah. Um, but when my, my father and I, we um, we moved away from from the business, left it in, in the hands of our partners at the time. Uh, and I went out, got a job quite quickly in, a, in another company. And straight away, I realized that I was free mm-hmm. and I could do what I, I was on. Uh, basically on Civic Street, I call it. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute, I can I can do what I want to do here. And that was when I started to work towards this. Uh, hobby gone mad which I'm doing now which is with the commentary but also writing as well so I write about motorsport and cars and um, and then the commentary is is the main main part of it so so that's kind of where where it came from so mum was she was delighted and normally my my uh, my parents always would tell me rightly to go down the kind of safe route and I'm surprised they they I'm, I was actually surprised that they didn't say, you know, maybe just better keep going in the whiskey industry. And, you know, it, it, and the whiskey industry had been very good to me. You know, I got to, you know, did very, did very well with it. But uh, it was my passion was uh, was was well, motor racing and cars. You only live once, don't you? And I think, yeah. you know, especially having that experience you've had from the whiskey industry, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, that's actually helped you, if anything. It has. Yeah. Now, right. So it has. So you've, yeah. got, you've got to give it a go. It, you know, I know, obviously know you well and know how passionate you are about motorsport. And it seems a waste not to to use mm-hmm. that really um, and enjoy yeah. yourself with it. So, so did you mm-hmm. ever fancy driving or racing or rallying or? Uh, well, y- yes, I, 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 I did. Field with a, with a <laughs> yeah. <scoring>. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I would always I used to look mum if I if I'd been good. Mum would take me to the to the go kart track and we'd go just like arrive and drive stuff and I just loved it and every it was always on the PlayStation it was Gran Turismo it was Toka Touring Cars it was stuff you know stuff like that um, and I remember when uh, yeah I used to go to Knock Hill for the Super Touring the British Touring Cars as well but I I, I would have loved to have gone go karting but I do remember and I didn't really quite understand what was going on but when I think about it now I do. My dad, it was in the kind of early days of the internet, and I can remember seeing my dad going on and looking how much a go kart would cost and stuff like that. Really? Funnily enough, it went awfully quiet after yeah. that. <laughs> so I think he went, he went, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the thing is, he was dad was was a director in a really big business at that time. So, but even then, he thought absolutely no way. Um, yeah. you as you know now how expensive it is and um, you know not just karting i mean karting's incredibly expensive if you want to do it properly yeah. it, it's mm-hmm. like mini formula one now when you go um, mm-hmm. the thing is now mm-hmm. they're, they're starting at what four years old oh, yeah, um, yeah. and babino carts and then by mm-hmm. eight they're up in cadets and you know they've, they've got data telemetry they've got a whole team around them they have to mm-hmm. be out all the time you know it's, I mean, it's very impressive stuff, but yeah, the investment is huge. It is, yeah. um, 
So even if you are, uh, you know, a director of a company or something like that, I still think it's a tall ask if you really want, you know, when your children wants to be a Formula One driver or racing driver of some kind. I think it's, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? It is, you yeah. Know, which is why a lot of people go off to the States as well, isn't it? You know, yeah. to get support. Yeah. 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 Which yeah. is... Well, well, I know when I, I started racing in 1992, um, and there were people around me, I was only doing little local Formula Ford races, and people were spending 50, 60 grand then, mm. you know, God. Wow. 50 years ago, and you think, well, crikey, you know, yeah. I wasn't spending that, I was <laughs> no. one set of tyres for the year, and that was me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I guess if you want to do it, though, then, yeah. you know, you've, you've got to got try to find a, a way of, yeah, of have, making yeah. it work, haven't you, as well. Mm as well so um i suppose we'll, should we move on to yeah, yeah. sebring then? yeah so, let's talk about yeah let's talk about some motorsport <laughs> yeah so um peter obviously is um well a massive motorsport petrol head anyway <laughs> um but you do know a lot when it comes to um the sports car scene don't you probably far more than we do honestly oh, um, yeah yeah on that front. so what did you think of the 12-hour sebring race well, it was it, as always. Sebring throws up so many, so many storylines. I mean, there, uh, there was. I mean, it was just compelling viewing. I mean, probably the biggest story from Sebring was um, was the the Porsche, the WeatherTech Porsche 911 RSR. So, for 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 the, for the benefit of those who don't know. Sebring or the the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, which is kind of the American equivalent to the World Endurance Championship, in effect, uh, and they kind of carry similar significance. Um, the GTLM category for years has been it's not it's not necessarily exclusive to manufacturers, but they've been the only ones crazy enough to go and spend the money <laughs> to run a GTLM car. It's a very very sophisticated car. It's the same car is the GTE cars that you see at, uh, at Le Mans. So your Aston Martin, Vantage, uh, Ferrari 488, 4 GT, etc. Um, and really quite trick cars, aren't they? They're not very, yeah. very trick car. And they are built, they are built with this is why it amazes me how many of them end up in private hands at Le Mans. Shows you how big Le Mans is. I mean it's just bonkers, but they are really, really expensive. And the therefore it's it's been the kind of hunting ground of Corvette. BMW, Ferrari, uh, well, not even Ferrari. They've not even really been involved in GTLM. It's, it's, the, the big factory efforts have been BMW, Corvette, and Porsche. And, of course, Porsche closed their, um, closed their GTLM program at the end of last year. And at the end of last year, it was looking like there was going to be Corvette, and that's it, in the GTLM category. Okay, okay. It, that, it, that was the very real prospect, that it was going to be just Corvette, and of course that, and that's happened in the past. Corvette have run uncontested before. It shows their their commitment to to, to sport, you know. Um, but they so so that was what it was looking like. But then a rumor started to come around that Cooper McNeil, whose father David owns WeatherTech, who are the title sponsor of the uh, the, uh, the the championship, and Cooper is classed as a silver driver, um, who uh, which basically classes him as a very strong amateur. Yeah. So he's an, an, an amateur should never be seen as a negative connotation. Amateur simply means nobody is paying him to be there. He is paying to be there. Yeah. And, you know, he's won, he won two American Le Mans Series championships. He won, he's, he had won Sebring before, but he'd been racing in the Pro-Am GTD category for a couple of years with good success. But this rumor started to come out that, the G, that they were going to progress and go up to GTLM, which... A lot of people are thinking that's brave because in GTLM you can have any standard of driver you like. 
So it's Corvette factory drivers, all platinum. Mm -hmm. BMW factory drivers, gold if not all platinum. And Porsche in the past, again, all platinum. Um, World champions, Le Mans winners, uh, no restrictions at all. Mm -hmm. So for a silver driver to go into that uh, arena is brave. Um, But I, I, I personally believe that the McNeil family, who own WeatherTech, did it effectively to they built a GTLM program to keep the, the category going for one more year okay. uh, as a way of helping the series, which they've, they've supported for so long. Uh, that might be the case. It might not. It's just a, it's just a theory. Um, so we actually got the chance to speak to Cooper McNeil uh, during the week after his big win at Sebring. Uh, okay. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. And he, he said to me, they had a Ferrari GTE car bought built in Italy fitted with an IMSA wiring loom and on its way to America. And while the car was on the ship, the deal fell through no. for reasons, reasons that you could, you would never expect Cooper to give, but yeah. he says certain events happened and the Ferrari deal fell through. Wow. So they had the car. I don't know. I actually don't know if the car got turned back around again, or if it went into the McNeil collection. I don't know. So then at the very last minute between Christmas and new year, Porsche got wind that this was happening and Christian Reed, who owns Proton Competition, who raced in the World Championship, was also wanting to run at Daytona. And basically Porsche, Porsche doing what Porsche do, if they see that there's a private customer who wants to go and compete at the highest level, Porsche will be right there standing along beside you. And that's exactly what happened. Porsche said, oh, if you guys want to do this, here's our RSR, here's some, um, well, they, they bought the car, obviously, McNeil's bought the car. Porsche sent their engineers and crucially their factory drivers. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it got an, say again, Kat, sorry. For them, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because it's yeah. costing them less money, ultimately. Yeah. Way less. There. That's the thing. So it's a bit of a no-brainer as a manufacturer, really. It, it, it is. And, and, it, and, it, and it, is, it boggles my mind that it appears to be Porsche's most open secret to racing yeah. success. Yeah. And at Sebring at the weekend, they, they scored their 100th class win at Sebring wow. in 69 years. Well, actually, for Porsche, 67 years. 100 class wins. Uh, who's the next again down from Porsche? Cor- Corvette are on, of oh, Chevrolet are on 40. Yes, yeah, so a wow. massive difference. Huge, yeah. Um, and <laughs> it's massive. So the, the, the story was amazing. So coming into the race, I mean, bearing in mind that, you know, Coop, Cooper's driving with Matteo Jamini and Matt Campbell, two absolute superstars of the Porsche world. Um, and But they're going up against, like, in the Corvette number four, Nick Tandy, Tommy Milner, and um, who, who else was in, in that car? Who's the third driver? It's, 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 oh, oh, that's terrible. Oh. <laughs> It goes. It has left my mind. Who is the third driver in that car? No, it's loud because we've discussed it enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's terrible. We have. We've discussed it at length. Anyway, it's a, it's it's full of full of hot shoes. BMW the same, and and uh, so they were they were up against it, but they played the played the the strategy perfectly. They put Cooper in for qualifying, and everyone's like, "What what are they doing? Why are they putting Cooper McNeil in as the silver driver? Why would you not put Jamini or Campbell in?" But this is very clever because. In IMSA, whoever qualifies the car has to start. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course, you have a minimum drive time. Yeah. So they wanted to get Cooper's drive time out of the way early. Get that, get which is done, really. super. And of course, the more time you can get Cooper in the car, 
better for uh, track time is obviously gold, isn't it? So they Cooper went in for qualifying and he was within a second of the the other guys, which for a silver driver is yeah yeah yeah. Which you know that's is that, good, yeah. that's, that's unbelievable. Good. When you think to a factory driver who you know is always in the seat um, doing something. Uh, you know that's a very tall ask, isn't it? Around somewhere like Sebring as well. Which, yes. Oh, um, yeah. I've driven around there myself, but it looks like it's a particularly technical, yeah. bumpy, difficult mm. track to really get your hands. You know, because they were the driver pairings normally. The 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 you're as quick as your slowest driver, aren't you? In a Correct. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Which, if you've got to have an arm, you need a good arm. But at that GLM, mm-hmm. then that, that's negated. It's you've. You've got you really can't afford it. You're giving you if you can maybe give away hundreds, but you can't give away tenths, basically. Yeah. Uh, and and that was kind of where they were. And I mean, to give you an idea, to put a bit of context in how impressive Cooper's drive is, because do you know what? His he comes from a let's be honest, he comes from a very, very wealthy family. The the, yeah. the business is it's actually it's only started in 1989. I thought it was older than that, but put it this way: they have a, an advert at the Super Bowl every year, so they 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 have got a lot of money. Make no mistake. So Cooper's always going to get that jibe of he's only there because of his dad's money. Well, if it's not his dad, there'll be other drivers where it might not be their dad's money, but it'll be their dad's mate's money, or you yeah, know, yeah, it's sure. he, 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 at the end of the day. Thoughts like that. <laughs> it, it, it comes exactly. It comes down to the stopwatch, and I think Cooper really proved that he, he doesn't need to prove himself. Because at the end of the day, he they're paying the bill. They they yeah. can go as fast or as slow as they want, in my view. But at Sebring 12 hour, which was delayed to the end of 2020, Neil Yanni, who's a Le Mans outright winner and Porsche factory driver, he was two seconds off the pace. Oh, was really? That's yeah. Yeah, wow. that does show. because he just was just a bit rusty in a GT yeah. car. Yeah. Um, and hadn't I don't think he'd been to Sebring before, if I remember rightly. So I think I hope for that gives that's nothing against Neil Yanni. That just shows you how good a job Cooper Cooper did. Absolutely. And they got his drive time out of the way. And of course, it with IMSA, every time there's a yellow flag, the field effectively resets itself. Yeah. So you've all you got to do is just try and stay on the lead lap. So Cooper did that perfectly, stayed on the lead lap, and then um Campbell and Jaminy, they did about five hours each. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which five hours in a day at Sebring is shows you how fit you these guys are. Absolutely. Yeah. When you see what Sebring's like oh, okay. and how oh, bumpy it is, how tight yeah. it is. I mean, great, they should keep it like oh, that. Oh, I love yeah. 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 It's kind of old school, and yeah. I love that. Very I mean, we've discussed it again, haven't we? All of us really at length with this, with you know, the tracks getting almost too safe in the fact that there's so much time there's no punishment to making a mistake that's kind of the problem not that you want to see anybody get hurt or a major accident but they have to to run through the gravel that's gonna you know yeah or or touch the grass or whatever it might be um and that's Mm -hmm. that's what's amazing in a 12-hour race like Mm. that you know i think is yeah gosh it's really almost as taxing as doing something like le mans isn't it really yeah um in in many respects more it's more intense it's kind of condensed isn't it yeah so did you watch all the classes as well? So the, the DPI? Yes, I did. Yeah, I, I did. I mean, unfortunately, there was there was the stream, uh, which is normally excellent. Uh, the stream was there's, there was something apparently happening from a production standpoint in the production truck that was causing an issue with with um, uh, broadcasting it. So a lot of people, I thought it was just my internet, but I think everyone was having the same. Yeah, I got to say, um, well, I, I'm used to technology failing. So <laughs> I just thought it was me, but then <laughs> everybody else started <laughs> saying something. I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> it's not just that, me then. Yeah. Yeah, so Thankfully, it wasn't the whole race. But yeah, it, was, yeah. it wasn't the whole race. But I mean, the, the prototypes, I mean, 
wow. I mean, the prototypes, uh, uh, the top DPI class, mm -hmm. which is really given the kind of framework for this new LMDH rules that we're going to see in a couple of years' time with Porsche and Audi and Acura and apparently BMW are going to be on the way soon and, and whoever else. But, I mean, we saw, again, how Scott Dixon, for me, the best all-rounder of his era, uh, maybe unbelievable guy i mean bearing in mind he drives these prototypes three or four times a year and he's quicker than anybody yeah. anyone because it's funny with netflix doing their f1 thing and, and one of the guys they start off with these are the 20 best racing drivers in the world That's no they're not, they're not. yeah I, I actually being honest thought that was really offensive yeah absolutely um, because there's probably four or five of them that are yeah but yeah you, <laughs> you just can't measure Right. Just Formula One drivers, yeah, you can't, you can't um, just because they're that route. And Scott Dixon, well, we've said a few times, haven't we? Why was he never in Formula One? Yeah. You know, how many IndyCar championships has he got? Has he won now? six now? Six. Yeah, you know, we all know how close IndyCar is. And okay, Formula One can be close, but it's not. I mean, Lewis is an exceptional driver, but he, it's not the the same. No. Lewis most of the time has had to beat Bottas, maybe Verstappen. Now, there's no disrespect to him. He's still a phenomenal driver. And I believe if you put him in an Indy car, he'd be as good as Scott Dixon. Yeah, but yeah correct. Yeah. Scott, <laughs> I think he's, he's, he's got to beat the whole field every Which again, year. It <laughs> also know, shows you how good people like Newgarden are that take that fight to him. Yes. You yeah. Know? yeah. He was never looked at over here, really. I know he did yeah. Formula Ford over here, but was, that was, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. I think also the thing is, is that to win an Indy car, you've got to be good on a street course, you've yeah. got to be good on a road course, yeah. and you've got to be able to do oval. Yeah. If you're not good at all three, you're stuffed. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's the thing. And you hear now, like, for example, oddly, Jimmy Johnson, of course, seven-time NASCAR champion, he's retired from NASCAR, he's gone into IndyCar, he's yeah. going to only do the road courses, mm -hmm. which I find bizarre. I would have he thought he'd maybe do the struggle, hasn't he, I believe? He has, he's, he's, yeah. Well, he's, well, your, your first lap is your fastest, then it tails off. But then IndyCar mm. keeps going, and I think he's found it really quite hard to adjust to that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I read a very good, a very good feature in Autosport about Jamie Johnson's adapt adaptation to IndyCar, and it was very open and very honest. And he, I, he hasn't got it yet. Clearly, he would tell you that, but I, I think he will get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, how long it will take, I don't know, but yeah, he's clearly got. He, he's showing why I think he's a set. Why he's a seven-time NASCAR champion. When you just yeah. listen to what he's saying about how. He's just breaking it down, one very big task and breaking it down into tiny little pieces and lining them all up in a row and thinking, right, let's let's get started kind of thing. So, but in, in deep, yeah, I mean, a seriously op good operator, but he's been made, uh, to, to give him his due, he's got, he's he's gone into IMSA, of course, racing in, at Sebring, raced at Daytona, and he's going to do Watkins Glen and Petit Le Mans as well. And uh, he's in there with, two of the best prototype drivers in the world, Simon Pagino and Kimi Kobayashi. So if you want two people to make you look ordinary, they're the two best guys you yeah. can pick pretty much. Um, so, but yeah, coming back to the, the prototypes, I mean, once again, um, once, once again, the Chip Ganassi 01 Cadillac robbed again, um, punted by the BMW. And again, the same 25 BMW that seems to be, the four-wheeled bowling ball at the moment, but yeah. that did cause a problem at Daytona as well, didn't it? Same, uh -huh. didn't same it? car, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So well, and took the Corvette out of the win as well because the Porsche, yeah. the WeatherTech Porsche, wouldn't have won if it hadn't have yeah. BMW just nerfed Garcia out of the way in the Corvette. And it was quite 
clumsy as well, wasn't it? Oh, clumsy. very. Was yeah. it the same? It was an eye racing crash. Yeah. <laughs> so it was the Felipe, wasn't it, that was driving the? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it him every time? That causes no, uh, no, it's been a mixture of him and Spengler. Yeah, because right. Bruno Spengler was the one that caused the. How was he? The incident at the start. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Ran, yeah, of course. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've got to be careful what we say. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It wasn't the the best move, <laughs> let's no. say. But no. hey, you know that's racing. But yeah, it certainly made the last twenty minutes very exciting, <laughs> yeah. didn't it? Oh. <laughs> Oh, it it it, it, it was. It all happens in the last half hour. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it it was just bonkers. Well, just in the last two hours, it was really crazy. And uh, yeah, it shows you how hard these guys are are racing. I think it's it'll go down in history as one of the twelve hours of Sebring with the most panel to panel contact, mm. which I think is maybe in that form of racing might have to just come get rained back a little bit yeah. because the it, it is a form of racing where it is maybe just getting a little bit a little bit over the top, but. It's a, it's a fine line, isn't it? But um, so the it looked like the Cadillacs had it set, had it, you know, it looked like the Chip Ganassi Cadillac had it sewn up, but they didn't win in the end after getting taken out by the BMW. It was the number five car, the JDC Miller Motorsport car with Sebastian Bourdais, uh, Tristan Vautier as well. And that would be the last car that you would expect to, to, to win. And it did it. And it, you know, they had to change the front nose nine times. Is that right? Where they have nine front noses, yeah, 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 yeah. Good job, the car's black because they can't have been painted up, surely. So, yeah, they had to keep replacing stuff on it, but they they did get there at the end and they kept losing bits. So, it was apparently Bourdais when he was in the car, they were losing bits off the rear wing, and apparently, he hates a loose rear end, and but he still managed to, to, to kind of pull it, pull it through. So I mean, there was just there was stories up and down the up and down the uh, the pit lane. I mean, Lawrence Vantor got it got his first ever win at yeah, Sebring as well, that, which I, I yeah. thought was great. Yeah, great. I mean, well, we, again, we've spoken about him a lot, haven't we, on the other mm-hmm. podcast? He's um, yeah, a very special driver. So it's great to see him get his first win there as mm. well. Um, I'm sure for any any driver doing endurance, Sebring has got to be one of those. Yeah, it's just one of the classes. Yeah, exactly. Get under your belt, really. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think. Um, it was just very, very exciting. What did you think to the um, LMP2 accident, which kind of, that was about two hours before, was that two hours before the end? Or was it a bit earlier than that? The really, really big. Big shunt. Big shunt. It kind um, of, I'm sideways and it whipped him off. Into the. Nazareth had a very similar moment, but caught it earlier in the race. I'm trying to, I, I can't remember the incident specifically. Um, I think I remember seeing the aftermath of it. Yeah. Yeah. The good thing, it's a good job that these P2 cars are safe, really safe, because some of the, well, this is the thing is, are they, are the P2 cars a suitable, are they really a suitable long-term solution for amateur drivers? I'm not sure. Yeah. I, 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 I think my view on it is, with especially with the way we're going forward with LMDH being at a price point, which is similar to LMP2, I would say that you, you know, we have pros and prototypes and we have AMs in GT cars because they are, I mean, there's six, 600 horsepower in one of these yeah. Gibson well, we engines in the back of the P2. At, um, with Carlin, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And they'd got a, an LMP2 car in their workshop that they'd been running yeah. in Manchester. Uh-huh. I think that's what it was running for, in Asian Le Mans. 
Mm-hmm. They said it's an animal. This car. Mm-hmm. That's all mm-hmm. they, how they described it. Is it yeah. is an animal of a thing? Yeah. I, it's not. It's not an amateur car. Well, the the other problem you have when it's like LMP3 um, is pro GT drivers tripping over LMP cars yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. And when you've got amateurs in the LMP3, yeah, I think it's it's a tricky one. I can see the appeal of an amateur wanting to go and drive a prototype. I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you have to be, I mean, in all the cars, you have to be very precise, but, you know, LMP cars, just like a, a Formula One car or any single seater, you have to be so precise all of the time. Yeah. You haven't got ABS, you don't have any aids. It's, so you've got to mm. be really accurate and, and doing something like a 12 hour race. Yeah. I think you, yeah, it's asking a lot, but I, I remember the, the accident because it looked like, um, like AB, um, ABS, sorry, it looked like something had failed because um, it sort of really went at the back, didn't yeah. it? Initially. It was on cold tyres, I think, though, wasn't it? It was, yeah, that was the other thing because mm. they don't have tyre warmers, do they, or anything before going no. in? So, no. Um, so there was a question on that as well. Mm. Um, just and it's a v- very hard compound tyre as well mm. because the car, they obviously have to last so long. Yeah. So they've got this really hard tyre that's not been pre warmed. Yeah, and yeah, it, and it can it if you watch them in qualifying, it can take five laps to get any kind of lap time at all out of them. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got to keep going round and round and round. But I mean, they've okay. it's changed a bit now. But I mean, Alan McNish or Petit Le Mans in two thousand and eight when the in the diesel Audi, which is arguably got a lot more power and torque than that, but um, but still it's relative. But he, he was coming out on the on the parade lap, driving out to the grid, mm-hmm. and just. 40 50 miles an hour going down the s's at road atlanta <laughs> straight in the wall oh, and it, it's just it's just like bermuda triangle chunk gone it's yeah, just yeah. You, you you can't have a tire that hard with yeah. no pre-warming at all it's it's just dangerous um so you know if you're pro again if of course there's at least one pro in each of these p2 cars and it's fine when they're in and in fact the racing's superb because you have somebody like um, you know, you'll have uh, I don't know your own Blake Mullen versus a Ryan DL. Now that's a that's a battle that anyone would want to watch. But the but there, you know, can be five, six, seven seconds a lap quicker mm-hmm. than the guy that's the the arm driver. But the, yeah, it is. And the 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 thing is, is that it's it's a really tough one because if you look at well if you look at something like cooper mcneil cooper mcneil's never done he doesn't do prototypes he just yeah. does gts and he believes that he said actually in his interview the other day saying that you know people it's got to be relatable to a fan as well and in the end of the day the amateur drivers are fans gone mad if you if you like yeah, and right. the thing is why for him he's driving an rsr and he says the car is just unbelievable he says because he used to drive like a, a version of the cup car and then the gt3 and he says that that car compared to the rsr is night and day he says you had to work so hard with the rear engine car mm-hmm. he says now with the rsr with it so much lower and so much further to the middle mm-hmm. he says it is just magic he says you still have to push but he says it's just a dream to drive and he's, the bit that i don't get is is that not enough for an amateur driver really yeah. Yeah. a 500 horsepower car like the rsr with massive track and aero and everything and Le Mans, it was Le Mans last year with the, I can't remember, it was qualifying, where one, a P2 car jumped into the wall, and like this big fat guy gets out and rolled over the barriers, and you think that guy pumped <laughs> that up. Yeah. Why yeah. is a 60-year-old guy yeah. doing, trying to do Le Mans in a well, prototype? It just, 
it just then they, I mean, I, I think they do try and manage it now, don't they? Well, they have to qualify now to get into Le Mans, don't they? And things. Well, you pulled that, right? didn't you? You ended up not doing it, didn't you? But yeah, but yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I, I like I said, I can see the appeal of doing it. Um, but I think if you don't have that much experience and you're pretty new to motorsport and then you're throwing it even though you've got the money but throwing yourself into that kind yeah. of level go do classic Le Mans you but know? I can't even see how it would be enjoyable because <laughs> no. surely you want to be competitive or feel it's within reach yeah and that's the mm. thing if you're so out of your depth I mean I wouldn't in to be honest even with the experience that I have I wouldn't want to be thrown straight into that no. I would be like gosh I need to practice first and do this yeah. build up to you know, and I've done a lot of racing, but it's just being realistic because I wouldn't enjoy it if I was throwing straight in and thought, mm. gosh, there's too much out of my depth here. Um, mm. But I guess for so many people, especially with Lamar, it's it's a dream, isn't it? Um, for yeah. them and, and they get that opportunity. And I guess some probably learn the hard way a little bit like that situation. But yeah, <laughs> yeah I, mm. I, I can see it from both sides. But yeah, it's um, yeah. Well, it's a bit like with the Ferrari that tripped up um, Davidson a few years ago. Yeah, that was And the same, a Ferrari yeah. tipped up McNeese as well. Yeah, well, that's when because, I think they well, yeah, changed. Just having the money shouldn't be qualification enough, should it? But I'm sure they've changed it now. They, am I right, Peter? They have to qualify. You, you, it's results driven, yeah. The, the, the only thing is, is that the entries are given to, if you notice now on a Le Mans entry list, there's a heck of a lot of TBCs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you think about it, like the car's got an entry. So they, there's a team got their entry, they've got a Ferrari in or they've got a Porsche or whatever, and they've got their their pro who is employed by the team or whatever they're employed by and then two slots and then do they go out and then sell those slots probably i mean probably. apparently a, a seat at le mans in a p2 car is seven figures easy yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it's sometimes maybe even to eight figures actually yeah I think. yeah i mean yeah it kind of doesn't surprise me but no, <laughs> no. but um which is yeah. racing so, in one in one 24 hour period yeah it? so it's... Mm-hmm. But for so many yeah. people, it'll be the dream, I suppose, isn't it? You know, like, yeah. I think what got me into racing, really, was going and watching Le Mans. Yeah. For real. Mm. You know, I think when you go and see something like that, you can't help but want to do it. You know, and it, it'd still be a dream for me now to go and do that. So I get, I get the appeal, but... you got yeah, to know I your think... own limitations, though. As soon as, they've got, as soon as they've got customer Corvettes, Cat, we'll, we'll, we'll need <laughs> yeah. to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we'll have to do it in a Corvette, obviously. <laughs> but we're allowed to talk about Corvette on this podcast. So okay. <laughs> yeah, it's so right. Okay. It's, not, it's not affiliated to any particular yeah. manufacturer. Not Porsche or anything. So what about Formula One then? I know, honestly, your heart's very much with the sports car scene. Well, um, have you have you seen much of the, the pre-season testing or any of the build well, Formula One? I keep, I keep top side of it. Um I still still read Autosport every week and kind of keep top side of it. Um, I, I, I used to be such a big Formula One fan uh, when it was on um, BBC. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, you know the when it was full you know full live coverage and I think the team that they had at that point was very good. And and then when it went on to Sky was it, it was it, it, for whatever reason the, it it didn't it didn't work but. I think one of the biggest things for me was was the move to the hybrid. I'm, I'm all for, there's nothing wrong with a hybrid racing car. Like for example, the Porsche 919, one of my favorite racing cars ever, and it's a hybrid. Mm. But Formula One, it, it's just gone about it all all the wrong way. But to answer your question, I, I think it's uh, 
it, it's form, Formula One is is tricky, and you look at I, I feel like Formula One now is actually kind of almost conditioned an environment where people are happy to accept certain things that really shouldn't be acceptable. You know, you've got teams that say, Do you know what, we'll be really, really happy when we can score a point. Yeah. And you go, wow. And I know that's always been the case, but it seems way more than normal. It seems that, that the haves and the have-nots of Formula One have got worse, not better. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I um, agree more with that. I think we're so used to the top three teams, maybe four, uh, you know, and then the rest kind of, like you say, I mean, they're great, mm. they get a point. And, and look at what happened to Williams and... Um, oh, it was incredibly it's sad. So hard. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, like to be part of Formula One because yes. of the sheer. I know they've got budget caps now, but even still, I think the best teams, mm. the best teams, the biggest teams, will still find a way around that. You know, mm. um, what we said about Haas. You know, Haas this year have said they're not going to develop the car because they're going to work on the 2022 car, and they've got two rookies, neither of which have got particularly great pedigrees. And you think, so what? Why are you going to spend? You're going to spend 150 million pounds riding around at the back mm. that just that makes no sense I mean, to me i think yeah I, I think um with with mick schumacher i think he has a lot of potential um but he could have done with an experienced driver with him nurturing him um very much and but obviously it's uh marzipan's dad Marzipan, yeah who's uh actually paying, He's paying like, for everything yeah, <laughs> by the looks of things, anyway. So, um, because it, there was a question whether he would even compete. Yeah. Um, well, that that was an that was a a, her, a horrendous uh, situation for for everybody, really, apart from Mazepin and his family, because they effectively bought their way out of that one, didn't they? I mean, absolutely. If you if you you put up, you know, you're a you're a you're a Formula One super licensed driver, the FIA, you're one of like well. Going back to the point we mentioned about drive to survive, mm-hmm. yeah. you know they're tw- they're twenty best racing drivers in the world. That doesn't just mean lap time. Yeah, no, absolutely. If you want to if you want to go by that metric, you have to be yeah. good at everything, yeah. and that's and and if you are uh, uh, meant to be the effectively the red arrows of racing drivers, uh, you cannot be seen to be driving a road car leaning over the back of the seat to grab grab your girlfriend or whoever she is is knockers. You know it's a, it's. <laughs> It's not a good, it's, and then and then putting it up on on a social media platform to millions of people that's a really stupid thing to do. Absolutely. But Absolutely. it it mean nobody needed nobody needed to know that he was bringing money to the team. That's all. That's not. There's nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with that. There are plenty of other drivers that do that, and plenty of other teams that accept it. But after that, and it got it. It was basically. Um, I wonder how much more money they had to fork out to keep him in the seat. Absolutely, because the question wasn't there whether he was going to stay. I think Haas were looking at options, really. Well, if you look at it from the point of Carl Haas, the team owner, now he, he, why does he need to do it? You know, he's had a lot of success in IndyCar and, and uh, in NASCAR as well, but he's, what is the point for him? I don't get it because he's doing Formula One to promote his very successful multi-billion dollar CNC milling company, Haas mm-hmm. Automation and stuff like that. Now that is to be in that sort of big business in America, you probably need to be pretty well connected politically, mm-hmm. and to have a race car going around in the most one of the most high-profile sports in the world with Russian flags all over it and a Russian mm-hmm. driver 
what? That has got you're spending all this money from to yeah. make yourself look really, really, really bad to the people yeah. you need to look really, really good to. You, yeah, I go. What is he doing? I don't get it. Yeah, and what don't get Mazapan because of what they say about Mazapan is he obviously his dad's an oligarch, uh, and mm-hmm. the way that works is essentially things just don't things go problems go away, and that's what yeah they do yeah they do the problems mm-hmm. gone away. Have but some then, more money, make it go away. Okay, that's that's happened. But you mm-hmm. can see that uh, with Mazapan's um, attitude, can't you, yeah. in general? Because in um, pre-season testing, he almost hit Hamilton. He did, he? yeah. So Hamilton had had a spin because um, he's really struggling with the car in pre-season testing, and he effectively slowed down, uh, and he almost lost it and hit him. But then he came on the radio bragging about it and joking about laughing, it. laughing, yeah. And you think that is the last thing you need to be saying, knowing that gets broadcast. That's not a private between you no. and the engineer. And you think you've already got a lot of negative attention on you. And then this, and you think, but it's almost, mm. I think, Unfortunately, he's in that environment where they're a bit untouchable. Yeah. Or, or so yeah. I think they are. Um, yeah. So he just does what he wants. Well, in full intense purposes, he is untouchable. Yeah. Well, that proved if you don't, if you get away with that, I don't know what else you've got to do. Yeah. If you look like what happened, there is, I don't know what else you would have had to do that could have been a great deal worse than that. You know, it's, and, and to me, the FIA should have just snipped his license. Yes. Yeah. They should have just said, you're done. And sorry, because well, you can't wait. If you're going to have a super license, you need a super license to be in Formula One. Yeah. You're going to have a super license. There's a there's a conduct that you follow in and out of the car, and that for me breaks it straight away. You can't compete anywhere as a Russian person because of the Olympic Committee. Band, yeah. Well, exactly. That's another matter. Yeah, yeah. Flag, is he? Do you think yeah. there's so how many how many alarm bells do you need? You know, yeah. I know a lot of issues, isn't there? But but yeah. Um... Yeah, <laughs> I've been on one episode. Yeah. I'm going to get you shut down by the government. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. So, uh, so have you seen any of the the free practice today? I know one I haven't. Been... No, tell what's been going on. Tell me. Yeah. Here's well, here's the here's the non F1 fan leading forward. So <laughs> tell me who's going quick. Yeah. Well, we've only seen uh, free practice one, haven't we? Yes. Um, well, just have a look at the results. Of free yeah, practice free practice two. two is that finished now? Actually? Yes. Okay. I don't and, then, know the results and the news hot two. off the presses. Uh, Verstappen quickest <laughs> again. Um, mm. Yeah, okay. and second, and that was Norris. Ah, so this is so Norris, the McLaren, McLaren have definitely found something. Yeah. Well, they've got we discussed it before didn't yeah we've got a trick diffuser haven't they? absolutely um now obviously that kind of became apparent two weeks ago and of course in two weeks a lot of manufacturers can like mercedes chuck some money at it absolutely <laughs> to try and play catch up and i think they have to a point where you see pre-season testing well the mercedes was nowhere he was yeah and he was un- unpredictable and Lewis, unstable yeah lewis was spinning a lot hmm. and you just don't see him do that you know um so for him to to do that quite frequently and, and seem unsettled by it, but this time round they look a lot more comfortable. They still don't look like they've got the outright pace. They did um, a, a test, what only for a few laps, but on soft. So Red Bull and Mercedes did um, Run, a soft, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, even then he still wasn't uh, as quick. No, as, is quicker. Yeah, Bottas seems to have got more of a handle of this car mm. so far, but obviously. We've seen that in the past with Bottas at the start of the season. He's very, very strong, and it's almost like Hamilton gets under his skin a little bit. But he's had actually um, a sports coach, hasn't he? Uh, yeah. Like a, a therapist as such, mm-hmm. uh, Bottas, over the winter to, to hopefully help with that. Because I think he's got the pace. 
for sure. Yeah. Um, and it, I th- I've always thought Bottas has the pace. It's just in his head, which is why you always see in the start of the season, he's really, really strong. And then seems to just get to a point where he just loses faith completely. And, well, there's only and like Hamilton hasn't won the first race for the last six years. How much that? But he's won the that's championship. That's a good start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's almost yeah. like that, though, isn't it? Yeah. And, and that's what you see. Bottas seems to get off on a better start. Um, but yeah, so Mercedes, it's going to be interesting because we've been so used to them being so dominant. Um, I mean, I kind of hope that that it is tighter. It's not, absolutely. Well, really? the top the top ten are covered by a second in free practice one. So, you know, I that's guess, definitely that's, yeah. that's more like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, know that's covered the field in a sports car race, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, or, yeah. Or, well, I was watching it at MotoGP this morning. Of course, the first round of the MotoGP championship in Qatar, and yeah. it's like, yeah, it's hundreds. Uh, it's close, really close. So yeah. it's not bad. We'll take a second. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it means it's moving in the right direction, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, but... That's what rule stability gives you because they've had stable rules for a few years. Mm. People without resources start to catch up, and there's less gains for the bigger teams, and that's that's kind of what you're dealing with there. Mm. I think is just mm-hmm. stability. Of course, that's all going to change again next year. But yeah, if we have a different world champion this year, that'd be well. Good. Verstappen certainly at the moment. Also, you never know with practice for sure what they're doing, but. They did do a qualifying run in free practice um, and they did in pre-season, didn't they? Yeah. And each time Red Bull, well, certainly Verstappen has looked very strong. Perez, what was he, seven tenths off in first? He was, I didn't see where he was on that one. The Ferraris are going well, though. Science was well up. Right, okay. Um, But, um, yeah, it's... uh... And McLaren are on a Mercedes motor this year, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. That's a big. That's that's got to be a. That's got to be a couple of tenths easy. Yeah, it is, on yeah. the Renault motor. Yeah. And they've got something. They found something with the with the aerodynamics. You know, mm-hmm. a good year right. for McLaren. I mean, if Lewis wins the world championship again, but has to fight for it, I'll you know we'll yeah. we'll take that. Yeah, absolutely. It just you just want to see racing. Yeah, you do. Yeah. I know. There's. They've tried to reduce the downforce a little bit, but of course they're very clever. They've tried to find it in other ways. Um, but yeah, just just for it to be closer, really. So it, it's certainly looking promising so far. That Red Bull have been more dominant, mm. but also McLaren seem to be the big game. They seem to be the ones that jumped up the most. Um, because I mean, I don't think Ricardo had the best first practice, but I think that's because he got caught in a lot of traffic when he went to do his softs qualifying run. He kind of didn't really because it's a, a shorter shot session now. They've so. dropped they've knocked half an hour off it. So they used to get two ninety minute sessions. They've now got two hour sessions. So I think everybody goes out now. So I think that's probably what. Yeah, and also you've got, got to try to do some heavy fuel running and all of that as well. All the usual so, stuff, yeah. Yeah, so it, I think it will be certainly interesting. Um, I mean, I, I would love to see McLaren get somewhere. Really, I think Zach Brown's done a great thing with the team. And yeah. I think um, you can see that, and I mean, even to get um, Ricardo, I think that shows because Ricardo, I think, was really meant to be a long-term deal with um, with, with Renault. Renault. Well, that's yeah, that's so. not running that well that car. No, and I wonder if the engine is part of it. You know mm. why he moved over, and I think Zach's got quite a modern look on things yeah. as well. And you know, it's it's. I think Renault. You'd think Renault would be one of the best teams to be with. Yeah. with their resources. Well, I always think you need to be with a factory team. But, yeah. You know. Yeah. So I mean, we'll we'll see. But um, have, have you got your money on anybody this year? Then anybody you're hoping for? Well, it's uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how uh, Vettel gets on in the Aston Martin. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot going on at that, that team, and 
you know, there's well, where you could go down a black hole with the with, with conversation with that with the team. But I think it'd be really interesting to, to see Vettel in there. I think uh, he's at a, a point in his career where I, I think this the environment there will suit him a lot better than Ferrari. Um, and probably even, I mean. I, I, the thing is, when he was at Red Bull, it was it was he was lucky that he was the the the, the chosen one. Red Bull can only have one chosen one. Absolutely, they can't have two, and they they've proven that time and time and time again, haven't they? Absolutely. Um, and they 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 completely mollycoddle one and just treat the other like death. By this, by I mean Weber, uh, uh, Gasly. Yeah. Albon. Yeah. yeah. Have you watched the Drive to Survive? Oh my word! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and it, yeah. And it, it highlights it though, doesn't it? Well, there was you an know, interview. It really, Gass- really does. Gasly put out an article this week, isn't it? Whether you saw that? No. About it. Um. Um. I can't remember what was that on. It was Motorsport magazine had a kind of little bit about it. Mm-hmm. That they, mm-hmm. It was another. It was another magazine that had done the full article, and he basically talks about he was treated like crap. Mm-hmm. Gotten mm-hmm. man completely. He shunted the car in testing at the start of the year and was never forgiven. In effect, um, and it was just you know ignored and forgotten oh. about. And he said he, he said to Christian Horner, "What do I need to do? What can I do differently?" And he said, "Don't worry, we've got your back." And that was as they yeah. went for the summer break. At the end of which they sacked him. Mm. You know, and it was like, well, this, you've done this now with so many different drivers because Ricardo saw the writing on the wall. That's why he left. Because they liked Ricardo and they don't want to lose Ricardo, and he was the only one really to rival Verstappen. Yes. Um, despite the fact that they were all around Verstappen, Ricardo was still there, wasn't yes. he? And and hassling Verstappen, um, and at times beating him as well. And I don't think they wanted to lose him, but they don't seem to be able to balance it. It's like Mercedes and other teams seem to manage to a one-two driver, yeah. don't they? Um, even though Bottas, I'm sure, doesn't want to be seen as number two, but they, they're able to manage it better. And for whatever reason at Red Bull, it just doesn't happen. Well, Ricardo said, do you remember they hit each other at um, Baku? Do you remember yes. that? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, Ricardo had got into the past Verstappen and then he ended up back behind him because the tyres was holding him up. And he'd asked the team to move him out of the way and they hadn't a few times and all that kind of stuff. And he says, as he creamed into the back of Verstappen, he thought, there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Serves you right. And that yeah. was his thought process as they fired off down the escape area. Yeah. And I think right. he went back and signed with Renault. Yeah. Because he just thought, you know, what else do you want me to do? You know? Yeah. So it's just, it's just a shame. I think the good thing with Perez, though, is Perez being older. He's a bit calmer. Had, he's had what? How, how many years in the sports? Oh, like I 10, said 10, but they can't be 10. It can't can be 10. It? Maybe 10. He's just going to be happy to be there. Yeah. In yeah. that seat. The first thing is he's in a seat. He's in a good seat. But he's also older, so I think he can bring things to the team from other teams. And I think he's more likely to say, this is what I want, this is what I need. But he's also a Sunday. He's so strong on Sunday. Yeah. And I think he'll that, not take any He'll not take any nonsense at all yeah, on the track. No. Yeah. None. But no. that's what's uh, about him. Yeah. They need that. They need somebody with experience because they're juniors. And there's nothing wrong with their juniors, and they've got some bloody quick juniors, haven't they? But they don't yeah. seem to be able to nurture them once they get them out of the Toro Rosso. That's where it seems to go wrong. And well, the conversion rate is awful. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the con- conversion rate is terrible. I mean, the, the uh, and yeah, it, it. I think when you look at look at, I mean, you've got to take your hat off to to Gasly because in the same weekend he 
is one of his best mates is killed in a racing car at the track you're about to go and race on. Yeah. And then um, you know, and you've you've and then you lose your drive and you get mid-season, which is embarrassing. It must be yeah. incredibly embarrassing. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you get, but you look at a team that have put on a, in the very much the the kind of Italian way, if, if you like, um, they, they've they've kind of put their they're a bit more of an emotional team, Alpha Tori, aren't they? And they, they've kind of put their arm around them and given them a little bit more of the encouragement. And hey, hey, presto, he, he goes and wins a Absolutely. wins a race. And I, I, that bit, I, I, well, in that he was full, flawless in that race, wasn't he? But he was yeah, pretty much flawless all year. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. He completely upped his game, um, and that's an incredibly hard thing to do in that environment when so many people are doubting you is to come mm. that strong. Mm. But he did, mm. and that to me confirms there's culturally something not quite right in Red Bull. There's something mm-hmm. not quite mm-hmm. right. Um, well, it's it. it it's it's the cult. It's not not from Mister Matuschitz, but it's very clear that it's Horner and Marco yeah. that yeah. are the, the the bullies. To be to be really blunt, because like, they and you know Verstappen is a guy who's got. You, you look at his background. Verstappen's got very very thick skin. He's had to have thick skin. You look at you know how he was yeah. raised, how his dad yeah. was. Yeah. He's, he's been uh-huh. absolutely groomed to be a Formula 1 driver. But Nothing's going to get to him. A harsh yeah. environment, you know, very much. And he openly talks about that as well. Um, but other people need an arm put around, don't absolutely. they? Absolutely. And this is the thing yeah. I cannot understand in today as well, why there are not more um, sports coaches um, that, are, you know, deal with the mental side, performance coaches, mm-hmm. like there is in mm-hmm. so many other sports. Yeah. But mm. you get to Formula 1 and... I mean, there's a big focus with Bontas having it, but I cannot understand why Red Bull don't think, right, we need to reassess here what we're doing because they're investing money in all these juniors and then throwing it away at the last hurdle. Yeah. Just to mm. me, doesn't make any and sense. And it is like you want you perform while you're out. Yeah. And it's like, well, because Perez told the story, funny enough, this week about yeah. he tested for Red Bull. Did you see this? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. When he was doing Formula 3 and he got one session, wasn't quick enough and was out. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hang on a minute. I thought I'd got another run. But no, the reason he wasn't quick enough is he was uncomfortable. He, yeah, in the he was car. His arms. He couldn't fit properly, so the seat would be made wrong. So he came in to say, "I want to adjust the seat because I can't steer it properly." Yeah. And they just sent him home. Yeah. <laughs> you think, you There's know. the door. Yeah, and that's that's the that's the seat of the pants helmet Marco decision process. That's what funny enough Patrick Long said. He said it it was it, it was a five minute decision. List of names. Yes. Yes. No. No. And interestingly, on Drive to Survive, which actually anything on that program, I would take with the biggest pinch of salt because I think it's becoming more and more contrived with every season. Yeah. Um, and but what Horner did say when they're talking about he was questioned about Gasly versus Albon, and he says, "Oh, you know, we're making decisions based on data." I'm like, that's just a hoaching lie. Yeah. Uh, I, I said, "You might have some data, but there's clearly a lot of seat of the pants going on as well." Yeah, yes. absolutely. Well. I thought that because with data, why then not put Gasly back in the car? Yeah. Gasly did everything he, he needed to do. Um, and I think the fact it happened with Albon, the only reason they didn't get rid of Albon halfway through is because they didn't want to lose face with, with their decision. Yeah. They made their own yeah. decision yeah. with Gasly, but they won't accept that. So Gasly will never have a look in again. At the, the he doesn't seat. want to go back there. No, he? that's the worst thing he could do, would go back to Red Bull. Yeah, because yeah. I, I think it would just happen again, because unless they can reflect themselves as a team and look inwards and think, right, there's something we need to change here, 
you know, Max is happy. That side of the garage is great, but you got, you know, what's the point of having another car? Zach Brown's put his spanner in the works this morning. Apparently, he said this morning that Mercedes 2022 will be Russell and Verstappen. Yeah, yeah. That's, um... <laughs> as he as he threw his pigeon, got him <laughs> <Yeah>. onto the pigeon. <laughs> He's like, I'll just throw that one in there. Eh? <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, I'll be over here. <laughs> I'd like to see that to be yeah. fair. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Well, it does make me wonder if if Mercedes will pull out and McLaren will become the Mercedes. Team. Yeah. Because I wondered if that's what lured Daniel Ricciardo in. I just think that, there's more that would make a whole lot more financial sense. Um, yeah, well, I just, Brown's just a clever think, guy, isn't he? Yeah. He's an operator, isn't he? So Absolutely. He's... And I just think that's what's going to happen in the end. Really well, I, here's here's my theory. Here's my theory. I think that that could be one, but I, it could. Um, Aston Martin and Daimler mm-hmm. are well. You look at what's happened in the last the last year or two between Toto Wolff. Lawrence Stroll et al, Daimler and Aston Martin. Yeah. As especially with Aston Martin as a publicly traded company, and you look at what's happened. Yeah. It's all a little bit too cozy for, for me. And I, I think you look at the interest that Daimler are taking in Aston Martin, it could be that they those two join together because mm-hmm. you, you wonder. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh, well yeah. Well, last year it was a pink Mercedes last year. Is it a green Mercedes mm. this year? You know, it's uh, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. that, that's the thing you copy that car um, you know through and through didn't they yeah. you know um, I know they said that they didn't do anything wrong but well, well the test both technically didn't the FIA didn't yeah didn't they yeah. find them a load of money at some point or something, they you know? did find them yeah they did but, but you can them. carry on yeah. right, 200 grand yeah yeah which is for them, you know. Yeah. I mean, that, that'll be Lauren Stroll's weekly jet fuel bill. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's... And I, I was surprised they were still allowed to run like they, they did. I thought... I mean, that's not the way to win races anyway, is it? Because, no. like, um, who was it? Martin Brundle, didn't he say? That you can't copy teams to that degree because you'll never beat them. Then. You never you'll beat like, them you if you copy them. To the, that's what yeah. Zach Brown again. That's kind of thing he would say. Yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> so... Um, but I suppose if you haven't got the resources, then no. I suppose that's it. Well, I hope that because we've got the budget cap, I hope that that would help people like Williams. But they're they're not. They're too a little too late. Their car's not working again. Well, you it. know, you think. Well, we'll see for next year because next year's a big, big change. Yeah. Um, and it could just tighten it all up a little bit. We'll have to see. But that was all very odd a few years ago, Paddy Lowe, wasn't it? When the car wasn't ready, and he and he and he suddenly walked out and disappeared. That was all very odd with Williams. Remember that? Was it last year? Yeah. I don't know. It was the car was massively oh, yeah. behind schedule and yeah. it was oh, yeah. very odd. Like whether they had a breakdown or something. And, and then they never seemed to have recovered from that point. Yeah, that was yeah. right. Because they came to the first round and there were things still missing. Yeah. They well, they missed the first day of the test, didn't absolutely they? Absolutely. They couldn't test because like the front wing wasn't there. Yeah. And just bizarre things considering how much I know they're not spending the money of Ferrari and Mercedes, but still. You know, hundred and fifty thousand or something. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the car wasn't ready, and they didn't have the parts, and it was the most bizarre, yeah, bizarre yeah. situation. That was like when there was. I'm going off the point here a little bit. When Honda first went back to McLaren, and the first engine arrived, and it wouldn't fit. Oh <laughs> yeah. They're woking, thinking, "Well, now what do we do?" Yeah. <laughs> but that kind of makes me. <laughs> think it's almost like any race series yeah isn't it when you hear stories like that you know it doesn't matter how much money what's involved things still go wrong don't they yeah 
sometimes the most stupid things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, that you would think a team like that would never no. make that mistake. No. Absolutely. But anyway, we'll find out this weekend. Yeah. So um, I suppose we could go on and on and on about Formula <laughs> One. But, uh, <laughs> anything with wheels on, really. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, we'll wait to see. So we've got the round um, coming up uh, this weekend, haven't we? So we'll get to see, yeah, see what yeah. happens happens with that. Yes. So we have like a, an interactive part of the session, a bit like... Um, What's it called? The genie question. A bit Racing like genie, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So what is it this week? Rick? So this week we said, if you could have dinner with any two racing drivers, one from the past, one from the present, who would they be? Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, they don't have to, as Kat said, they don't have to be dead <laughs> if they're in the past. Well, by past. <laughs> Whoa. Well... <laughs> I'd probably say from the past. Yeah. Oh. The thing is, mm. <laughs> oh well. I tell you what, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I, I tell you what, from from the past would have to be Colin McRae. Yeah. Uh, but it, it would be very much a liquid dinner, I would imagine, with Colin. <laughs> uh, he liked to party, <laughs> apparently. So. Uh, you, interrupt you there before you finish your train thought. Have you read Jason Plato's book? Yes, I have, and I, 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 I actually, I've I've listened to it on audiobook when he reads it out, and I've honestly nearly put the car off the road laughing yeah. with some of it. It's just he's fantastic. Colin McRae, doesn't he? That that is a very good story. Not fit for broadcast, yes, but that is a very good story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that d- definitely go go partying with with Colin McRae would be the one from the past. Oh, from from present. Ah, uh, oh, that's a good one. Um. Hmm. Oh, uh, it would it would have to be. Uh, it's, uh, it, could it could it be a a a rider racer rather than a, like a, as in a motor? Yeah. I I have to say I would love to have dinner with Valentino Rossi. Yeah. I know that's quite an obvious answer, but yeah, I think just to to sit and sit down, a couple of bottles of wine and a bowl of pasta with Valentino Rossi. Just to just he yeah, and the thing is he's got such a passion for all kinds of racing as well. You know he's got he's done rallying, he's done uh, various F one tests and stuff. Even put on Michael Schumacher's helmet to try and stop the Italian press seeing him, and he still got caught. And his mum phoned him up and said, "You look really stupid today, son, doing that." <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I think yeah, I think he would be a really really interesting guy to 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 chat to. Yeah, so. Uh, Colin McRae and Valentino Rossi. Maybe the two of them at once. My God, that would be, a... yeah, that'd be fun. Well, yeah. both massive characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, Rossi, I think he's doing, you know, so you having Rossi a, a living, well, living legend, isn't he, really? <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. Um, well, my... Sideburns as well. That's very important. He's, he likes the sideburns. He does. Rossi. Yeah. He's kind of one of the only men that can actually pull it off for some reason. Thanks, Kat. That's really nice of you to say that. That's really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, how old is um Rossi now? He must be 40, is he? He is oh. he was born February 1979, so he is 42. I was gonna say, yeah. I mean and he, have you seen his new bike out today, the Petronas Yamaha? It looks I've pictures of it, but I haven't actually <laughs> beautiful. seen beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And it, that'll be huge for the sport because of course being a Malaysian team in Malaysia, honestly, bike like two-wheeled anything is just the last word. I mean, MotoGP is like football, like football here. It's massive. So, yeah, I think that'll be big for the sport having him on a 
anybody the Malaysian team. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I I love MotoGP. I think um, for years it's been so close, and you know, um, yeah, really, really, really good sport. It's a shame actually that it doesn't get a bit like rallying and things. Well, like all sports, motorsports now, it's hard to find them, isn't it? And yeah, watch so what to see them? Yeah, yeah, compared to how it used to be. Um, and I do think we'll end up with less fans over here because of that. Um, hmm. You know, because I just think it's not as accessible, really. Well, that, that's definitely happened with MotoGP in the UK anyway. I mean, obviously, it will always have an allure in Spain and Italy. I mean, again, it's massive in Spain and Italy. Um, but in the UK, you know, Rossi was way more of a high... Uh, it was way more of a household name when, again, when it was on BBC, when it was free to air. Uh, and... And to, to give them their credit, the BT Sport guys, since they came in in 2014, their coverage is first class. I mean, the comment, the commentary, the expert analysis, Neil Hodgson, and unfortunately Keith Ewan's not doing it anymore, but it was... Say again? I love Neil Hodgson. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, uh, it, now, our listeners can't see this. You should have just seen Kat's face there. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. no, he's a, he's an excellent, excellent commentator, Neil Hodgson. And yeah, very good. And But the problem is, is BT Sport is a small fortune. Um, or, well, it's not so much the cost, it's the fact that you can't stumble across it, which people could BBC on a, on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. I think that's the, the issue. Is that you have so many subscriptions now, don't you? Um, which is why mm. we don't have BT Sport because you wouldn't watch you anything start, else on BT well, Sport, you we just watch that. Weighing things yeah. up, so if you think, well, by the time you've got the Formula One channel and then you've got this, you've got that, and it does, mm. it starts to add up. And it's a shame because I used to watch MotoGP all the time. And rallying and IndyCar were on there for a bit, weren't they? Yeah. Well, now Indy's moved to Formula F1, One, channel. It, yeah, yeah. So we started mm. watching a lot more IndyCar again, yeah. you know, but yeah, it's just um just a, a shame really because i just wish it was more accessible the same with rallying but even like watching the the sebring race it, it was quite hard i know you only need to go on the website but then it was it seemed to not run very well i appreciate that was the only time like you say but it's things like that you think doesn't help get new viewers into it no you kind of get one you're you're only you're only then appealing to a certain you're appealing to people that know that it's on know the time that it's on and will actively turn on to watch it. And I mean, the, the viewer, the viewership is going very well. But the for IMSA, for example, but the reason why IMSA viewership is going very well is because it's on NBC. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think you do need something big like that to mm -hmm. really get people mm -hmm. into it. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm so, I'm digressing. Yeah. Um, sorry. So, your people? Well, you probably would guess mine. Both of you probably guessed. <laughs> me, but, um, so, past Damon Hill. Yeah. Said, yeah. So, um, well, I have to say, Damon, because I mean, as a, a child, he was definitely my first um, racing hero. Um, and well, yeah, mine was Nigel Mansell, but I'm not having dinner with him. Yeah, but they definitely. <laughs> Nigel, Nigel Mansell's a bit of an arse. You end up paying the bill, Richard. <laughs> not sure you can say that. <laughs> no, I, no I actually like, I, I like <laughs> Nigel Mansell, but there's a lot of. I actually know somebody who used to be his accountant, and she always said he was lovely. Really? But when it comes to the sport, I think he can be incredibly difficult man to please. But yeah, Damon's not like that, obviously. Um, so I'd absolutely <laughs> love to really just 
chats because um i mean in his book he's so he's open and honest and, yeah very and he's mm-hmm. very in but i mean even away from the sport he's just a very interesting man and and that's yeah. the thing i think you not even just talk about formula one or motorsport you just have a really nice time with him um mm-hmm. and then my present would be fernando alonso <laughs> so it's really predictable but again because with fernando um after work taking out a few people that are very high up in Formula One and all of them saying that when I say who's the best driver all of them said Fernando which surprised me you know some who work very closely with Lewis and and other big names like Verstappen and things and and everybody still says Alonso and I would love to actually meet him and kind of find out why that is mm. you know why why is everybody I think say him you know well, not everybody, probably when you meet him you'd realize why he's not been able to get in the seat and stay in the right seat for the right amount of time yeah, yeah. well i'd ignore that bit. <laughs> <laughs> ah here's an out there is a bit of a tenuous there is a t- you'll get you'll like this one okay. there is a tenuous link between both of our choices there between do you know what fernando alonso and valentino rossi have in common um, go on because i've, I've Va- got well there you go, go yeah on. valentino rossi's ex-girlfriend is fernando alonso's current girlfriend oh there you go yeah Lucky. Mine's nothing like that as exciting. <laughs> at PEC once, Mark Webber turned up in one of his Porsches because he's got a collection of it. It was a four-litre GT3 RS. Mm. And uh, he was chatting to our chief, Gordon. And he said to Gordon, that car has been driven by uh, Jackie Stewart, Fernando mm-hmm. Alonso and Valentino Rossi. He's <laughs> yeah. hardly done any wow. but those three have all driven it. <laughs> How can you be wow. a female that goes out with Valentino Rossi and then Alonso? I mean... That's just not fair. Oh, right. <laughs> I'm guessing she's a bit of a looker. Uh, well, <laughs> just a wild star. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure she is, but still, um, no. I uh, I have a theory that Rossi's gay, but I think we need to save that for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> no. So in terms of my dinner guess. Richard, your choice. Yeah, I could have picked. I could have picked hundreds. Um, yeah, I know you could have. Yeah. So, so people like Jackie Stewart, for example, but I know all Jackie Stewart's stories because I, I just mm. read anything I find about Jackie Stewart, I'll read it. Um, so, it would probably be Mario Andretti, would be my driver from the past. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you kind of look a bit like Mario Andretti, yeah, a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. And from the present, you made me think actually because it was going to go really obvious and say Charles Clerk because just mm. about him, but I think I would go Michael Dunlop. Because, oh, that's a very good one. Yeah. He's such an enigma. Nobody really knows Michael Dunlop. Um, mm-hmm. And he's one of, when I was growing up, a racing driver was one of the, was like um, a gladiator. Yeah. Um, you know, and he is the epitome of that. Mm-hmm. You know, you never book. know coming back. You never know if that's the last time you'll ever see him. He yeah. just has that kind of air about him. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Dunlop's book is one of the most enthralling books I've ever read. And, and it, a book like Damon's, where he's had his demons, doesn't he? <laughs> Oh, yeah. well, well, both of them have had the ultimate pain, if you like. Yeah, both lost parents, and yeah. They, I mean, Mike, Michael, you know, God bless him. He's had, he's lost his dad, he's lost his uncle, and then just two or three years ago, lost his brother. Lost his brother, yeah. All to the same thing, and uh, in fact, I've got a, I've got a set of leathers in uh, motorbike leathers in in the cupboard beside me here. Uh, that where Glenn Irwin won the Northwest Two Hundred in, right, and. The after um, uh, after Michael's um, Michael's brother William passed away, they, he, his 
his fiance was pregnant at the time and they had a, a one-year-old as well so they, they wow. did a charity auction for it and uh, so I, I i i got the, the leathers from that so it's kind of a cool thing to remember but yeah i remember going to the Ironman tt in 2013 and michael dunlop won four in a week mm-hmm. and he he did a lap in the super stock race uh, basically a thousand cc road bike the same bike you see people driving down to the chip shop in with the number plate taken off and he did the first 130 mile an hour lap on a super sorry 131 mile an hour lap on yeah. a super stock bike and i remember we were at um cronkivody straight and he was coming up behind um mcginnis uh, who is the boy at, at the isle of man tt and he went past him like he was like he went through this blind right hander and slipped underneath him like there was like mcginnis was standing still yeah yeah it was just spellbinding and yeah dunlop he he's active, isn't he? yeah oh and you look at how many different <laughs> how many different bikes he's ridden and he's won on everything yeah he's won on kawasaki yeah. he's won on bmw he's won on yamaha he's won on every single manufacturer you can think of yeah. and uh he uh, he and the thing is for him to do it he has to do it his own way yeah. it has to be him and a couple of mates from a van doesn't he you know he literally it's, does the work it's the only way it'll work if he he could not he's tried it in factory teams and it never, it never yeah. well it works for about a season and yeah, <laughs> yeah he would be a good one and it came across really reading his book as much as anything else um, mm. um was we talked about how much the indycar drivers get paid earlier on and it's not mm. really, and the, it might have been the year he when he won four in a week and then he went home and had to declare himself bankrupt Mm-hmm. That's in his book, isn't it? I think that was that that was that year. And you yeah. think because mm-hmm. he got, got nothing. Because remember, John McGuinness said that you know he was. I think he earned, he had a good year one year and earned just over hundred grand, mm. of which the HMRC had half of it. And he said they were sat on the back when I was going down Bray Hill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. would have got to give yeah. half of it to the HMRC. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, yeah. they didn't um, much money at all. No. Um, I mean, I think the TT profiles got bigger. Yes, um, they probably do more right now. Um, I mean, I don't know if they earn much now, but I think no. they get more, uh, certainly more attention. And I think people like Guy Martin have probably helped just with general people that like, may a watch more. a little bit yeah. of motorsport, but perhaps not really, um, you know, really into it. No. Or more likely to be drawn into the TT. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I remember the first time I went to the TT and I honestly thought, I, I don't know if I can watch this. It, I was so nervous the whole time. And we mm-hmm. went, there was a few of us that went, wasn't there? Mm. We went and stood in this um, yeah. this garden because I was very lucky that a client of mine, she lives there. So um, uh-huh. okay. her, her car, her 911, which was very kind of her. And um, they, her brother gave us a little tour of all the places you should watch and the locals yeah. they knew. So we went and stood in this front garden and I stood there for, I thought, this is amazing. I can't believe how good this spot is. And the first bike came past. I thought, yes, yeah, what this. <laughs> I can't stand oh, yeah. here any longer. Because I kept thinking, It's when you hear them coming. Oh, when yeah. you hear them coming, they're like, well, yeah. You know, the, the section of road where um, David Jeffries. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. He was the boy. David Jeffries was the boy. Yeah. What was about him was he was a big guy as well. He was a big he, lad. Yeah. Like, and he was. Yeah. He, yeah. Um, well, it was just after that section was where this garden was, and a few nights later, um, Jamie Whittam, who also I think is all he'd be a good bloke to have dinner with Jamie Whittam, mm, was mm. doing a little piece to camera where we've been standing. 
and they're coming at you probably 108, 190 miles yeah. an hour and just and just turn in front of you and you're yeah. like, oh Jesus, I can see why nobody's standing here. Oh yeah, it <laughs> is. Yeah, so I, I think we stood there for 10 minutes and then we all bottled it basically. Yeah. And you think, that's us stood there. Can you imagine riding? Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, gosh, we've raced and we understand the appeal, but I cannot imagine ever pushing to that degree with nothing left. And know if you make even the slightest mistake, that's probably it. Yeah. Game over. You know, and that's that's a whole different mindset, I think. You know, yeah. um, I know, you know, motorsport in general, you know, like Formula One used to be more like that going back, but it's certainly nothing like that anymore. No. And I just think that kind of mentality. Because um, who's the guy that yeah. holds the record at the moment? I can't. What's his name? It's a British super right? Um, Peter Hickman. Peter Hickman. So he mm-hmm. must ride it like a short circuit. You know, he you does, know. yeah, he does. You look at the amount of movement in the back, the, the amount of movement from the rear, yeah. and you, you, that's <laughs> like ridiculous, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. your own ability, isn't it, or something? For sure. uh, yeah, it's easy. Sort of, yeah. Right, I suppose we should we wrap, wrap up, really. Up. Otherwise, yeah, we'll just be. <laughs> Chatting yeah. about all sorts of made to sports. Peter's probably got better um... things to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but anyway, thank, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, next week, what are we covering next week? So next week we're going to talk about some road cars. Um, so yeah, new well, Bentley GT Speed. We're going to talk yeah, a little bit about much. that. Uh, and the new Aston F1 safety cars. Yeah, and we'll, we'll also cover the Formula One. What's so happened? And, yeah, and, and go through, and we'll we'll go through some driving techniques and things as well. We, Just yeah. sort of focus particularly on motorsport this week. It's all kicking off, so we thought we'd have a motorsport week. Absolutely. So thank you very much to Peter for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much. My pleasure. Analysis of the uh, Sebring 12 Hours. And thanks for listening. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Veloce Podcast, Fast and Fluid Conversation with Kat Impey and Richard Bott. Don't forget to subscribe via your chosen podcast provider and never miss an episode of the Veloce Podcast.